And we're back, Mike Cernovich, Cernovich.com, and back from the dead, so to speak. I was in the, the land of the living and the dead, one foot in each, last night. Did a really deep dive with ayahuasca. And this experience was interesting for me because I had done ayahuasca years ago with a good friend of mine, Nick Gabriel. I did a podcast episode with him. And I'd also done five MEO-DMT. But the first time I did ayahuasca, I didn't go deep, I guess, in the way that you can go deep. It was um, kind of a cool experience. It was fun. But I didn't know what the medicine was capable of or where it could take you. So stay tuned for a lot of details. I've been integrating it. And I'll tell you why I'm integrating it. I'm integrating it because as I was going through the experience... There's there's music playing, of course, and then there's stories. Stories you're telling yourself about what is happening, stories that other people have told you, books that you had read, movies that you read. You're constantly contextualizing what happens because there's a dual language. And we'll talk a little bit about the dual language. But the way the way it began was I started my preparation for the experience. I did it right. There's a line about... You have to have the right setting. The setting is everything. The shaman is everything. And preparation is everything. So I went off caffeine and did a water fast for um, 24 hours. And by water fast, I mean literally nothing but water. And you learn a lot, actually, as you're going in. You want to focus your intent. And as I was only drinking water, habits kick in, habits that you're not aware of. And water is a blank canvas for your habits to appear. This is what we mean. If you wake up, you're going to live your life. For example, if I wake up, um, I'm going to get a coffee, nitro cold brew coffee usually, and maybe a monster energy drink. But you don't realize your habits have become unconscious until you only drink water. You commit to only drinking water. And then you think, God, man, you know, I do drink maybe too much caffeine or maybe I do drink too much wine or I, I want to crack open a bottle of wine or I want to have a big steak or a piece of cake or something like that. And you're forced, again, the water, a water fast is a blank canvas where your habits of mind and habits of body appear. And then you're able to see them on that canvas before your very eyes. And that's part of the preparation for the ayahuasca because it's a very serious thing. If you read about ayahuasca, and I'm not here to give you the SEO terms about it, what it is, what it means, all those terms you want to type up if you ever want your article to appear on page one, the New Yorker does uh, quite a good article on it, and I'll link to that. But when, but, so you have to read that. Do your homework, but you have to treat it seriously, and a lot of people have bad experiences, and by bad, I mean you know, sometimes a medical thing here because they don't respect the process. They don't respect the shaman. They don't respect the scene and they don't go into it with intent. And you have to do, you have to give up the caffeine. You have to give up the chocolate. You have to give up the sugar. You have to give up the meat at least for a couple days before and just drink only water at least 24 hours before. One trick that I um, added sort of a life hack was I did, um, if you, if you take a massive dose of magnesium that helps clean out your stomach and then you take uh, 10 to 20 grams of psyllium husk. So I took uh, with my last meal at, I don't know, 7 PM or 8 PM or so I took uh, 10 grams of psyllium husk. And then by the time I went under and started taking the medicine the next day, uh, 24 hours later, there was nothing there. 
So it was it went it went all the way into me, and the experience was it was quite something. And the setting we'll talk about for a second because this is why if you ever do it, and I'm not advising anyone to do it, don't ask me where I did it, uh, please just because I don't know who you are, um, and you know just you know respect boundaries. And I for me it was the perfect scenario, no touching, nobody. I don't want anybody touching me anywhere. And I mask, and you go under, and you're on your own futon, and you're sitting there, and you drink the tea. I it's a Hawaiian strain of ayahuasca. Apparently, there's a lot of different flavors um, that I'd had. I'd had proving before. It tasted terrible. The Hawaiian I thought was good. It reminded me of this decaf instant coffee that I like to drink. So I took it down, no problem. And you just sit there, and you're waiting for something to happen. And then right as you you feel feel it kick in, you put your eye mask on, and then you lay back. From there, I began with a feeling that I'd read about before, which was, um, I'd read about heroin addiction. I'm in this phase, I I think I was talking to my good friend Gray about this, he's a lawyer in Florida, Um, just like a reading about trying to get deeper into the human condition and the lives that people live. So I've always been like, what's it like to be a heroin actor? What's it like to be you know, this, or what's it like to live on a submarine? What's it like to be Amish? What's it like to be Hasidic Jew? Actually, I know, I know all this kind of, you know, really obscure facts on because I've been just taking a deep dive into to more and more about the human condition and the different lives people live. And we'll, and we'll talk about why that matters when I go into a little bit of my experience. And I, so I knew going in, I'd read about heroin addicts and they said, well, the reason people become addicts is the first time they ever do heroin, they feel like they're enveloped in a warm blanket and every part of their body tingles and it feels like an orgasm a hundred times greater and longer lasting than sex, but it's a non-sexual energy. And I read that before here and there. But as I went under, the psychedelic colors kicked in, the the geometric patterns that you'll see if you ever Google ayahuasca and you go to like Google images. Th- those kicked in a little bit of almost like tinnitus. My ears started ringing a little bit. And then I felt something, uh, an intense pleasure. Uh, it was like a numbness. I've, I've done MDMA. I've done you know a lot of different pharmacologicals. And it was an intense feeling over my entire body from head to toe, my lips were numb, and I just started laughing. It was like, what is this, laughing gas, or what is this, heroin? And then I heard someone next to me throw up, and I thought to myself, these people are so weak. <laughs> Famous last words. I'm there, and I'm floating through some kind of astral place, independent of space and time, feeling like high as a kite, like a feeling I'd never had before and thinking these other people were just kind of weak because they were throwing up and somehow it must have been better. And then that's when the medicine was getting to know me. And this is, you know, so some people want to call this a drug. And I would just say, well, you haven't done many drugs. I've been amped up on a gram of androgynous hormones stacked with modafinil. And I know what it's like to feel like on drugs or MDMA. I know what it's like. And this is a medicine because there's a communication that is both ways. So the way I would put it is if you drink, let's just take a very, uh, it's a drug, but it's a very non-controversial drug. If you wake up and you take a 250 milligram 
dose of caffeine, you're, you're going to breathe a little bit heavier, your speech patterns are going to change, you're going to have cotton mouth, and there's not much you can do about it. If you take androgynous hormones, the test or the trend or the master, it's going to kick in, and this is a one-way experience. When you take ayahuasca, the medicine, it is reading you while you're reading it, and then I was what I thought was going to be a very pleasurable experience. I learned was just amnesia to numb me, and then the medicine said we have to humble you. The medicine was saying to me that you're just so arrogant, but that your arrogance is false, and that it isn't that I was laughing at them because they were weak; it's that I was afraid of my own weakness and my own vulnerability. And the way that I deal with that is maybe you know ridicule, even if just in my own mind, or look down just in my own mind. But that's my own insecurities. And then I get up and they call it purging. You know, some people call it vomiting. Some people call it purging. I'll say something that I mentioned when I was talking to Shauna about this. When when I was purging, it was the worst I'd vomited, except maybe when I was in Vietnam and I had horrific food poisoning. The difference is that if you know you have the flu or food poisoning, you throw up. You get that almost acidic stomach acid built up in your throat and your a horse throat and you feel gross. So I was doing these massive purges and I didn't have, there was no aftertaste after, after it. There was no stomach acid or bile, although I, you know, I tasted it or saw it when it was in the bucket. That The, the claim is that you're purging actually spiritual trauma and, and going in, I kind of laughed at it. I'm, I'm the kind, how do you say this? When I go into these things, I'm very skeptical and very judgmental because I'm a skeptical and judgmental person, and that's because I have a lot of judgment about myself too. And I would think, I read people say they're purging, and that's trauma, built-in trauma. Just total nonsense, right? You go in, and the vomit, we've all thrown up. We all know what vomit is, right? That's the interesting thing about the medicine. Everybody here listening You've, you have heard, you know what vomit is. You know what it's like to throw up. You know what it's like to have the flu, maybe food poisoning. And when you're vomiting or purging on ayahuasca, it's not the same experience. And you have to, as you know, Hunter S. Thomas uh, so infamously said, is you have to buy the ticket and take the ride. Because everything I lived and everything that I'm going to tell you about and that we're talking about has to be experienced. You're purging, but it's a deep psychological, psycho-spiritual purge. And it's leaving. And there was one point where you know, I threw up and then I was looking at it and I could see it. It was like reddish stuff. It looked like a you know red rock star energy drink. Like it felt like, what did I have stored up? What is that flavor? Red capsule flavor from the rock star energy drink. And then as I was doing it, you go through all these time cycles and the time cycle changed. We went through a very cold winter and then I watched the vomit go from pink or red and it turned, it changed colors because the, the the winter froze it. And that's, you'd say, well, the winter froze it, time cycle. When you get, you get into a point where you're, you're not in time space. Right now, I have a sense of I'm sitting here, I'm in my body, I know what time it is. I have a sense of time. I, I know what an hour is. A few minutes have passed by. When you get go deep under, you don't know. You don't have a sense of time. It, actually, your sense of time feels infinite. And that's experienced in several different ways. For me, it was 
a time loop. I would I would wake up and then I'd know this trick from lucid dreaming. I would wake up and if you want a lucid dream, you you would look at your hands and then once you saw your hands, you knew you were in a lucid dream. And that's how you would ground yourself. I woke up, looked at, thought I woke up. We'll talk about that. Thought I woke up, looked at my hand. Oh, I'm awake. And then I went to feel my face and I have a little scruff and I don't feel anything on my face. And then I try to stand up and that's not going to happen. I can't even sit up. I try to see the people because there are other people in the room with their, their masks. And I see like dark figures, shadows floating around. And then I, okay, I'm going back to sleep or back to wherever. I don't know. But there is no sleep because if you close your eyes to fall asleep, the medicine, again, it will talk to you. Or you talk to yourself. Is the universe in you? Or are you in the universe? Or is it the same? Does the question even make sense? And I kept hearing a voice say, you can't, you can't fall asleep through this. You can't sleep through this. Close your eyes. It doesn't matter. And then I would close my eyes and see all the patterns the geometric patterns, and then I would talk to it, and I would say, why are, why are people this way? Why, why do we act this way? Why do we behave this way? And then the, you know, the, the two manifestations of creation emerged, you know, the, the father, the masculine, the, the mother, the divine, the mother, the, the feminine, and they were saying that you doesn't have to be this way. It's this way because we're separated from God. And we're separated from God because we're separated from each other. That why can't, for example, why do we all want to be stars, but we can't let the light and other people shine and warm us when that's what we're supposed to do? And there was a, you know, the shaman is there. And he sort of appeared to me in various forms throughout the night. And then one night he appeared almost as in like a cosmic uh, figure where he was, you know, communicating with God and we're just looking at the whole world together. And there was not that, there wasn't the crying. And that was that's what I mean by the two elements of the creation, the, the father and the mother, the masculine and the feminine. There, there wasn't the weepiness, but there was a sense of almost disappointment, almost sorrow is not the word, but the feeling that you would have when you're watching your children make a terrible mistake but it's not your job to go rescue them from that mistake. You know that the kid's about to fall. You know something is about to happen. But he also had, a, the, you know, the, was communicating to me, there's a line in the Bible. And by the way, there's a lot of Christians who listen to me and, you know, want to preach to me or whatever. And I grew up reading the Bible, almost certainly read the Bible more than the people who harass me on Twitter about it. And I would just say that I learned more about God and demons than I ever did from a book. It's one thing to read about demons. It's one thing to read, you know, chapters in the Bible where Jesus casts out demons and they fill up a crop of pigs and the pigs run off the cliff because the demon said his name was Legion because there were many. It's one thing to to read that in the book. It's another thing that you you see demons and demons are taunting you. A demon would say, don't come back here. You can't come back here and make you feel a sense of sheer terror, a terror that is indescribable because you're suspended in time. And this is, again, the message and the back and forth of this is that it's been proven if you want to, in torture books and everything like that, the, the, the worst torture is the psychological torture of they don't know is going to end. And that's the way in this plane of suspending space and time. You throw a guy in a cage, you do keep the lights on 24-7, 
disorientation, a little bit of torture here and there. He doesn't know when it's going to happen. It's that loss of control that breaks people mentally as much as the pain. It's same thing. Imagine you go to the gym, you do leg day. And I tell you, you got to do 20 rep squats, which by the way are brutal. Um, brutal. But I'm going to say you're going to do this. And you, but you know it's going to last two minutes and 30 seconds approximately. You know it's going to be two minutes and 30 seconds of terror and hell, and you're going to throw up and you might fall down, you might pass out, you know that you're going to be sore for four days, but you know, okay, I can do this. Two minutes, 30 seconds approximately is what it takes to do a 20 rep squat. But imagine you don't know what's going to end. Imagine if not only you don't know if it's going to end because you're in this in this world of the human flesh, you know, well, maybe they'll eventually torture me and kill me. But when you're in this suspended time, you don't know this other plane. You don't know if it will end. You think you're trapped there forever. So I started feeling uh, very trapped. The the demons were, you know, taunting me. The, a friend of mine who referred me to the place told me, you know, say hi to the medicine. And I said, oh, you know, I'm not going to say his name, but I said, oh, you know, so-and-so told me to say hi. And then this voice said, ha, 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 he's our evil elf and here's how we recruit people and now you're trapped in here forever and you're never going to get away. You fell for it. We finally got you. And I thought, I'm never going to get out of here. And then I would roll over a little bit. Okay, wh- where am I? I try to reorientate myself. I would look over to my ro- upper right-hand corner. I see two cans of coconut milk or coconut water that I had. Oh, I see the two cans. Okay, I'm grounded again. Okay, I'm back. I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to see my family I'm ready. I'm, I'm all done. I see the two cans. I see my hands look up. It's like I'm in an earthquake. The windows open. The wind is the most intense wind. It felt like I was on the plains of the, the Great Lakes of, of Minnesota where the cold air is blowing towards us. I'm shivering. I'm freezing cold. And as anybody who knows me knows, I'm a very hot sleeper almost always. I, so I was in a hoodie and a shirt. The place was warm. And I had a thick blanket on me. I was on another layer of comfortable futon, two pillows. I should have been conducting a ton of heat. And I was the coldest, the chillest that I'd ever been. The chilliest that I'd ever been. It was cold almost. I do cold training, people. I do ice training. This was a completely different kind of cold. And then I was like, just, I don't know what's going on. I get, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that the medicine's like, every, they're going to be there right when you need them. So right as I would feel like I was about to break, I would be up and I'd be, you know, purging all over, not all over in the bucket. And then I was just like, okay, it's going to be okay. And then I would fall back down and be in this warm blanket, almost the womb again. And then the, you know, at first I thought it was mom. I thought I was in the middle between a fight between mom and dad where both energies were pushing against me. And I would, I would fall back and feel so warm and comforted and home and connected and feel undying love. And then it was either the the masculine energy, but I think it was the shadow. I think it was uh, the, like the demon. The demon wanted to taunt me. So it would show, I would look over and I would see uh, like a picture of like the Black Plague, this figure of, and when people had the plague, there was a person who would walk around to clean up the bodies and he wore this suit. It was quite a horrific thing. And that's what the Grim Reaper is based on. And I saw this kind of figure like going by and I thought he was killing people. And then I looked over and I thought there were like black, dark demons harming, harming people. And then I I felt again, terror. And then I would feel the feminine energy come in and it'll it'll be okay. Then the dark energy would say, 
you can't come back. Don't ever come back here. And then the, the mother energy would say, you can come back anytime you want to come back. And there's this struggle that I get up and purge. How many times? I don't know. The, you know, the next day, like people were like talking about it. So apparently it was a lot. I don't know. I, I just know the one point I, I was lucid for about 10 seconds and I was just like hugging essentially my, you know, mini trash can. I just said, this is like ridiculous, right? Have you ever been in a situation, I'm sure we all have, where it's just absurd? Like, okay, this is not possible to like vomit like this. It's not possible to like dry heave in this way. This is just too, too absurd and so like horrifically painful. And then I'd fall back and then, you know, the the medicine again would say, they'll be here right when you need them. And then I would just go through that process one after another, how long, thousands of years, hundreds of years, 10, 10 years, you don't know. They say that if you read a lot of the studies about it, and I'll link to some at Cernovich.com forward slash ayahuasca, they, they say it's like 10 years of therapy in one session because your conception of time is different. You're just living out a greater amount of time than you are when you're in the, the normal world. You can process more. You can work through more. So I was laying there again. I was trying to get back up, and I, you know, looked over, and uh, I didn't trust the shaman. I, then I was just thinking, "Oh God, this is—he has us all trapped in a house of a rising sun." I'd read a book, uh, Paulo Coelho's book. He did the Alchemist, but he had a recent one come out, Hippie, which was good. Also, I reviewed it at Sternrich.com, and there was a scene where people would get these like opium dens. And they would pay the man and they would lay on a bed and they would just essentially become heroin addicts and die there. It was called the House of the Rising Sun. And there's even a song about it that if you ever look into the, I don't know if you want to call them theories about it, but there's the idea that there's this place in New Orleans and people go in there and you're kind of trapped and it's metaphorical, but not really. And then I thought he's got us all and he's collected us. So the shaman would come over, try to comfort me. And I was just like, I don't trust him. And then I kept remembering my friend told me, you have to trust him. He's done it for 28 years. You can trust him. But then the the demon evil elf or whatever would come in. And I didn't see the evil elf, but I would just hear it sort of, you know, on my right hand side who was like, oh, now you can't trust your friend. And, and you realize that's how they destroy trust, right? You can't. I was told by a good friend to trust the shaman. And now I trust the shaman, not because I know him, but because of my friend. And now they're saying we can't trust your friend. And then I realized as I'm going through this, it's just that I, I don't trust anyone. Probably, um, maybe most importantly, I don't even trust myself. So this is what people talk about when they say, oh, the medicine, it teaches you, right? Well, it teaches you through experience, and experience is you're, you're vocalized, especially the more work that you've done into yourself, the way, the way you can communicate these concepts. The deeper you've gone, the deeper the medicine will take you, and the more concepts you'll have to understand it. then I realized, okay, this is, this is what's happening. It's right. I don't trust anyone. And I don't trust anyone because, you know, I don't, I don't have an origin story about terrible parents. I mean, I have quite nice parents. My dad coached baseball, but, um, you know, there's just things I never learned. I was kind of on my own. I was sort of bullied as a kid. And, you know, my dad took me to Taekwondo, but you have to sort of learn that on yourself. And I just think through a lot of my life that I just always felt alone, uh, very isolated. People who know me sometimes will say, oh, sometimes he's, Sam Rich is a little standoffish and they take that personally. 
because you know that's their energy, but they don't realize that that's that's just me. I just feel I've always felt disconnected. I was, I feel I've always felt sort of like an alien. Like I'm just not connected to other people. I don't I don't understand why people watch games, sports, and enjoy it. I don't understand why people dance and why they think that's like fun. I mean, I did it as you know because it was if you're a guy and you're good looking and you know a few moves, you can you know have a lot of sex. But I just I was always like, and I feel this even today where. Am I just not in on the joke? Am I just not in on it? These people are laughing and everybody's having fun and I'm just not. And I don't feel bad about it or angry about it because by myself, I process a lot of things and enjoy it. It's just incomprehensible to me in many ways. And that's because in a lot of ways I had to raise myself, at least in terms of skills I had to learn and mindset and breaking free from a lot of, you know, history and by history, I don't mean bad family history, but I just mean in, you know, there, there was a certain, you know, people like me, I grew up in a certain income bracket, and there's a story for all of us. And the story is if you grew up in a certain income bracket, then this is probably what you're going to do with your life, and your life's kind of predictable. And I took to break from that pattern, then I had to, you know, make different choices and learn on my own. But then I was going through law school and then had a terrible situation befall me with the person who tried to to live my life. So I'd gone from following, you know, new rules and becoming, you know, just on the path, man, just on the path. And then it was all taken from me, really. And then I had, so I had that trauma of what's it like when you do everything right and you follow all these rules you're supposed to follow and then it's all just gone and it's not even your fault. And it doesn't matter that it's your fault. It's just all taken away from you. What's it feel like to lose everything and that's how I felt when I was you know, 25-ish, 26-ish. I'm not really sure, but I, I went through just a phase where I was so confident and to, to suicidal, basically. Like I just, I did everything right. I don't really understand everything is, everything that I've worked for is being taken away from me. It's not really my fault. And I, you know, that's when I turned to eating and stress eating and that created a certain, you know, cause of events. So there was, you know, there's all this trauma in a way because I realized that I can't trust anything, right? You grow up, I love my parents, you know, but what's my dad going to tell me to do with my life, right? And he kept me out of trouble, thank God they didn't smoke. I mean, again, you know, that it's not, it's like you, you hear from people who have like these horrific childhoods. It's like I grew up poor, whoop-de-doo, blah, blah, blah. We still though have to learn our own path and we have to learn our own way. And then I find a new way. And then that new way is just destroyed, taken completely from me for no fault of my own. Now I have to find a new way. And the, just uh, the constant, you know, continuous stress is to trust the process. What process? I follow the process and this is what's happening to me. So you realize, okay, you can't, you can't trust anyone. You can't trust the process. You can't really even, can't really even trust yourself maybe because you're making these kind of choices. And that's what the the medicine is teaching you because, again, this podcast will be, you know, we're only a few minutes into it, but this podcast is not going to be more than an hour. But I was working on these issues for thousands of hours. They say, you know, the 10,000 hour rule is how you learn a new, a new skill. I was, what I just talked to you took me, I don't know, a thousand hours to learn. And then I can couldn't communicate it five minutes here, but only because I went through it for those hours. And I went from, again, this is trauma. You're waking up, you're throwing up, you feel sick. 
the worst food poisoning you ever had, shivering. You feel like you're in the coldest thing. And then as I'm shivering and the music sort of went quiet and changed, then I felt like more evil. And then the universe was showing me this is genocide. So I was watching every figure then became either female or dark, evil, dark energy. And then I was watching like genocide of people and the wailings of the mothers as they're crying out for their children who have died. And the mother creator, mother God, crying out for for all those who loved. And then you see the difference between the masculine and the feminine. The the feminine cries out and weeps and a, it's a, like a howl that you feel vibrationally. And then you see, you know, God, the, you see the father just looking out like, I can't believe these people are doing this again. I, you know, I just, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And then, then I go back and then, then, you know, the medicine would say to me again, do you want to know the truth? I would say, I want to know the truth. They said, I'm showing you the truth. And I would get the truth. And then it would say, put it into words. You can't put it into words. I would say, but I want to know the truth. They say, I'm going to show you the truth. And then I would feel truth. I would become one with whatever it is that was the truth. And then the voice would say again, now put it into words. And you can't put it into words. But I want to know the truth. And then I heard a voice on the side, we're going to do this as many times as we need to. And it was a very, it was, I taught me about teaching. It taught me about just with your own daughters and my own daughter. You, you know, you have to reinforce things. You can't be frustrated. You know, if you hear, it's like, well, I told you three times, you know, I got to tell you four times. And the, just the infinite patience that, that you go through where I want to know, okay, I'm going to show you. Wow, I know. I'll put it to words. You can't. Okay, we'll do this as many times as you want. And it was just, it was teaching me while, while instructing me that you can't put into words. You're trying to communicate your religion. Imagine you experience this and you're trying to write down a holy book. And you probably come, uh, the, the Christian Bible comes pretty close with, with a lot of the stuff on, you know, demons and angels and everything else. And, but imagine trying to put that into words. You experience this, put that into words, put that into a set of rules that people have to follow, put that into a path to, to so-called, you know, salvation. You can't. And that was just over, but I'm going to show you again. And it was, I don't know how many times we did that, but every time that the voice would say, just same tone, very, very calm, or just, we'll do this as many times as you need to. We'll do this as many times as you need to. So I, I went through that process of I, f- I have the keys to the knowledge of all the world. And then you felt the mother energy coming in saying, you you know, you're probably so proud. And, you know, sons are proud and mothers love that their sons are pride, uh, pr- uh, proud. But then, you know, sons, when they get too proud, they want to fight. They want to show other people what they have. And then they want to... Uh, uh, you know, aggressively in a way impose what they've learned on other people. And then the message was, again, everybody has to figure it out for themselves. And that, that kept being reinforced to me. I would say, why do we have to do this way? Why do we have to live this way? They would say, because you are one, but there are billions of you and everyone is on their own path and everyone has to learn and everyone has to learn at their own time. And you're learning now, but you still have a lot to learn and everyone else has a lot to learn. And it takes as long as it takes. And, and I'll take as long. So it's this infinite patience of I'll take as long as it takes to wake up all of you, to show all of you. And as this is happening, I'm contextualizing it with quotes I read and things that I read. And one beautiful story I read was 
you know, woman, she had lived a very rough life, you know, abusive childhood, then she had died. And as she's dying, you know, God holds her and says, you've lived a life and now you're going to live every other life that has ever lived. And then that's how you know what it's like to be God. And I thought, this is, again, backgrounds to, to Christian religions. I'm sure there's the similar sentiment in other uh, traditions. The idea that, that God knows every hair on your body and you read that and you think, oh, come on. I mean, I got a few kids. I can't even keep track of their names. How does how could anyone possibly know? But that's us. That's the child, again, the, the rebellion, the stubbornness, thinking that we could possibly understand what God understands. And then when you're put forth in that infinite place where infinite knowledge is possible, then you understand that God, whatever you want to call the, the concept, is real and that we're, we're sick because we're not connected to each other. And because we're not connected to each other, we're disconnected from God. It's our lack of connection to each other that it separates us from God and that that's what brings people closer to God. And you, But you, ha- you can verbalize it in words, but when you're in this place and you just feel it and you're, it's like a key almost, there's, that's why those geometric patterns all kind of look that way. It's almost like a key that goes, that's the key that goes into your soul or that's the key that you use to lock the universe. If you were drawing an image of this or if I were an artist drawing an image, you would almost like open up your mind, you you know, maybe open up a place in your mind, but it wouldn't be the universe outside of you. The universe would invoke you in almost like a U-shaped where it's caving in on itself because there's no, you're not going to the universe. The universe is coming to you, but the universe is not coming to you because you're going to the universe. And it's that paradoxical thinking that's frustrating when you try to put it into words. And that's why that was, again, the message that I was getting is that's why religions is so flawed because one of the messages was you're special because you're you, but you're not special because you're you. You're special because you're you, but you're not special because you're you. Everyone is special. And you realize that with the divine love, the divine love loves all of us equally. And we're special because we have that divine love, but not because we're better than anyone else or because we feel better from everyone else, but from the creator's perspective. But imagine you put that into words. Everyone is equal. I mean, we live in a world, I mean, we're just not all equal. We're all, we are different. And that was too where that's when they started to instruct me on this is why people have talents and this is why you have to love and respect other people's talents. And the talent of music was guiding people through the process. But what was guiding me through the process was stories, books that I read. You know, I read Scott Adams, you know, books that came to mind were Scott Adams as God's Debris. Uh, Kamal Ravenkot wrote a book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It. Books, uh, you know, The Alchemist I read, Hippie, just references to all these books and you realize, okay, telling your stories are how you help people find their reality. Some people are going to experience reality musically. Some people visually, some people are going to feel it and never be able to even communicate it because they don't know how to tell stories. And then the, you know, when I went in, one of my intentions, but I just felt, you know, just felt kind of stuck, which is strange because in many ways my prominence has increased, but just writing, I've, I've wanted to just, my right, my writing will come out a certain way, and I feel an opening up in a certain way, and then I'll go back to what's sort of familiar and easy, and that I'm good at, and that gets me the accolades or whatnot. And then it was you have you need to learn how to write again. This is what 
but it was saying you need to learn how to you need to learn how to ride again because the people who are getting you through this have told you stories and you have to tell your stories and you have to tell the stories of other people because people have helped you and then that was you know it's like that was where I was like breaking down I'm like throwing up I'm helpless and then at one point I called out the shaman by name and I'm somebody I never asked for help and I've I was just I don't know if you've ever just felt like maybe you're about to die. It's like a scream. And I don't know if I physically screamed, but I just screamed, help me, help me, please help me. And it was just a, it was just a really, it was just a humbling process to, to, um, to feel this way, to, to go, to go in feeling like you're, you know, superior or wanting to feel like you're superior and then, and then being guided to just say that this is humility, and then people are helping you. You have to help other people, and it just complete, complete, total humility in a, in a way that I've I've never felt, where I just called, cry out for someone, just please help me. I, you know, I don't even know. I feel like I'm dying. You know, I don't. You know, I might have said it was like hypoglycemic. I don't even know. I was just trying to think of some kind of words to communicate the way that I felt and I was just completely lost in a way. And then, and then it was just every time they were there, you know, every time you're just like, how is this possible that right as I need help, right as I'm about to break, right as I think it's about to end and that I'm trapped in some kind of weird vortex that suddenly right, right when you need the answer is there. And then that was, again, the messages from, that was the messages from, you know, the universe or whatever you want to call it was it'll always be there, but it's going to hurt first. It, it's always it's always through breakpoint where this happens is right when you think it's over. But you have to go to that point because that's, yeah, that's how you realize your own potential. That's how you that's how you connect to the spirit is you feel like you're about to break and you you push through. But right when you think that you can't do anything then there's that, that sense of like connection. And then you start, to, that's the, that's the love. That was the message of the, the, the masculine and the feminine. The fight was that, you know, the, the, the feminine energy is there for you. The feminine energy is there when you need that comfort and that love. But then that masculine energy is like, you have to suffer. You have to, you have to feel, you have to get out. You have to purge this trauma. You have to endure the suffering. You have to, whatever is inside or whatever you're going through, you you have to go through it. And I experienced that for uh, lifetimes. Who even knows? And then eventually I, I came to, I think I went down at about, I don't know, 8 p.m. or so. And I came to it about uh, 2 a.m. And then I woke up. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm finally here. Because remember, I was caught in these weird time loops where I would think that I was here and then I would be like, no, wait, I've been here before. I'm not here. What's going on? Over and over. So this time I go, okay, I'm, whew, right? Okay, I really am here. I'm back. And I get up. Finally, I can barely get up here. Just It's like, again, it was like being in a fight physically, physically you feel it. And I kind of get up and I walk in 
and there's all this food set up because we've been on a fast. And then I saw what looked like a cheesecake or something. And I thought, oh, wow, cheesecake, this is great. And then I thought, oh, man, you know, you're repeating the patterns. And this is what the things, again, you'll learn, but you have to learn them through the processes. I realized like, yeah, dude, I mean, I just, I'm just chasing buzzes all the time, right? Give me another dopamine hit on the internet. Give me another viral article. Give me another, you know, monster energy drink or Red Bull or you know, energy pill or nootropic or, uh, you know, a couple more shots of espresso, another coffee. Let's do a couple glasses of wine. Go, 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 go. Realizing like that just, that was me chasing the rushes because I was, became afraid. Um, you know, after all these years, I just become afraid of whatever trauma that I had had. And I was just trying to mask this trauma with all of these behaviors. And I said, I don't even want the cheesecake. So I'm just going to drink water. I'm not even drink coconut water. I'm just going to drink water and go to the bathroom. And I'm just going to go to bed and sleep. And then I just drink water, continue the water fasting process, lay down for you know a little bit, just like tried to process it. I took out my notepad that I brought with me. And so one thing I thought was, I was like, oh God, please, I hope I don't post anything on the internet. Oh God. As if I could have, right? When, when you're, you know, when you're processed, when you just come out, it's like you were like reborn. And an, another instance that happened to me was I was giving birth, which is bizarre. So I would look up and my legs were like in the process or the position of giving birth. And that was because the the medicine or the energy was just teaching me, teaching me about the feminine energy and the unconditional love and the acceptance that's possible and that exists. So I was just there and like, am I, I would like wake up kind of coherent. What am I here? What, what is really going on? This is bizarre. Then again, so I come to feeling in some ways reborn, but then I, I, so I went to grab my notepad and I had to ask somebody for help with the notepad. And I, it was like trying to write. I was like, I can't even write because you're still, or me anyway, I was still so out of it. I tried to put a pen together and that was again, the humility coming out, the humility that you're, you're through this now and you think you're some, you know, don't think you're some kind of spiritual guru. How about you figure out how your pen cap came unscrewed? So I'm sitting here like, I don't even know how to put this pen together. I don't even know what really a pen is. And then I kind of figured out how to put together. I find another pen and then I like try to write in this, notepad. And I'm like, Oh my God, I don't even know how to type a letter. And that was again, the the last of the humility is this was just, this was just, you know, one very deep experience, but it was just one. And it, the message was, you're still a child and you're, you're still a, a long way from, from wherever it is you think you're going and approach this with some kind of respect now, some kind of humility engage with the world with a little bit of humility. You you know, you think again, you're, you've been humbled, completely humbled in a way that you've probably never been humbled before in your life. And this is, uh, you know, a new approach. We don't have to be meek. There's a difference between meekness and humility. And those are the messages. And there's probably a lot more than I'm leaving out. But that was my experience. I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't want to go on for three hours. That, that was my experience. I For me, I'm glad I did it. It was at the right time. I learned a lot about love, especially for my daughters. You, you, you love in a way, again, you become connected in love in a way that you 
you don't appreciate until you're fully immersed in the experience. So I'm glad I did it. There's a lot of articles that you can read about it. I'm not going to tell anybody to do it. I'm not here to encourage anyone to do anything. That's not my thing. But if this is my story, and that was one of the lessons was that I need to get back to telling the stories, the stories that matter, the spiritual stories, the stories that go deep, the stories that are vulnerable, the stories that are that you don't always look like the cool guy, you don't always look like the the guy on the top, and that's not my that's not my role. My role isn't to be this like super perfect person all the time because that's just feigned insecurity anyway. And my job is to to tap deep into spirituality and my own vulnerability and then teach people that it's okay for them to be vulnerable. It's okay I'm a you know successful guy, whatever, how people define it. And so you can be successful and you can be vulnerable. You can be a big guy and you can have been in a lot of fights. You can have been done. You could have lived a very, you know, rough and tumble lifestyle. And that doesn't mean you can't have a, a poetic side, a feminine side, a spiritual side, a vulnerable side. Thanks for listening. Mike Cernovich, Cernovich.com. If you want to read other articles, you can go to Cernovich.com, ayahuasca. I'm not sure how to spell it, so sorry for you. I'll put it in the podcast notes. Cernovich.com forward slash ayahuasca.